I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And good morning. We welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the winning of the lost and the edification of God's saints. Gospel Dynamite is a ministry of Asbury Baptist Church located at 218 Asbury Church Road, Seagrove, North Carolina. We invite you to visit our church on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. Now will you join me in studying the Word of God. You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. Thank you for joining us. Let's turn our Bibles to Genesis chapter 43, and we look at verses 1 through 10. Genesis 43, 1 through 10. And the famine was sore in the land, and it came to pass, when they had eaten up the corn, when they had brought out of Egypt, their father said unto them, Go again, buy us a little food. And Judah said unto him, saying, The man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, You shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. If thou wilt send our brother with us, we will go down and buy thee food. But if thou wilt not send him, we will not go down. For the man said unto us, You shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. And Israel said, Wherefore dealt ye so ill with me? as to tell the man whether you had yet a brother. And they said, The man asked us straightly of our state and our kindred, saying, Is your father yet alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to the tenor of these words, and could, not, uh, could we certainly know that he would say, Bring your brother down. And Judah said unto Israel his father, Send the lad with me. And we will rise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and thou, and also our little ones. I will be surety for him, of my hand shalt thou require him, if I will bring him not unto thee, and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever. For except we had lingered, surely now we had returned the second time. Now, it's been a while since we have looked in on Joseph and his family. And if you'll remember the story, you know that Joseph's brothers sold him into Egyptian slavery. They told their father that he was dead. And as far as they were concerned, Joseph was dead. They went on with their lives as though they had never never going to see their brother again because, to be honest, they never expected to. God had other plans. And while they're living their lives in Canaan, God is working in Egypt. While Jacob's heart is broken through mourning Joseph, God is working in Egypt. For down in Egypt, Joseph is sold as a slave. And he works for a man named Potiphar who is Pharaoh's chief executioner. Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph, but he rebuffs her advances. She lies to her husband, telling him that Joseph tried to rape her. Potiphar has thrown Joseph into prison. 
After a number of years, Joseph has brought to Pharaoh's attention. God uses Joseph to help Pharaoh, and to make a long story short, Joseph is taken out of the prison and made the prime minister of Egypt. A famine arises in the land. But Joseph has developed a plan to store us grain for the lean years ahead. And when the famine comes, it affects all the countries of the earth, according to the Scripture. Even the land of Canaan, where Joseph's brothers and father dwell. Now Joseph's brothers make a trip to Egypt to buy the grain to eat. And they meet the brother they sold as a slave some 20 years before. He recognizes them, but they do not recognize him. And God uses Joseph to waken the dead consciences of his brothers. And Joseph wants them to think about what they've done, so he accuses them of being spies. He throws Simeon into prison until the older brothers return home and get their younger brother, Benjamin. And they told Joseph about him, and Joseph, Joseph uses this as a tool to get them to return with his brother. Now the brothers return home with their grain, but not Simeon. Jacob again grieves. He refuses to allow the boys to take Benjamin back with them into Egypt. And after a while, the grain runs out, and they're forced to go get more. And that's where our text begins today. Now, in this passage, we see a discussion between Judah, the fourth oldest of Jacob's sons, and Jacob himself. And in the conversation, Judah is trying to convince his father that they have no choice but to return to Egypt with Benjamin to get more grain. Otherwise, they're going to starve to death, and that's the gist of what's taking place here. But as it is so often true in the Bible, there's more here that meets the eye. Now, what we see in these verses is a rebellious man demonstrating the fact that he is beginning to grow. What we see in these verses is how God used the events of Judah's life to bring him to maturity. God uses these events to shape Judah into the leader that he will become one day. Now, there's help here for us in these verses. After all, God is doing the same thing in your life and mine. He desires that we reach a place of maturity. Now, that truth is stated in the New Testament. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. The Bible says, Do we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of man, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that she may grow thereby. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, the Bible says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen.
Now, let's examine, with that being said, let's examine the passage that's before us, see how the Lord is working in Judah's life to bring him to the place of maturity. Today we look at Judah growing up. In verse 3, we see Judah's problems. Now, Judah is mentioned in verse 3. And let's take a moment here to remind ourselves what kind of king this man uh, would become that we're dealing with. In Genesis chapter 37 and verse 26, Judah is the one who talked his brothers out of killing Joseph and into selling him as a slave instead. In Genesis chapter 37, verses 31 through 35, Judah was part of the lie that broke Jacob's heart, and they told him Joseph was dead. And Jacob entered an extended time of mourning. In Genesis chapter 38, verse 1, when Judah sought a wife, he married an unbeliever. In Genesis 38, verses 7 through 10, he raised two sons who were so evil that God killed them both. Genesis chapter 38, verses 12 through 16, Judah was a man controlled by fleshly lust. His wife died, and he sought female companionship in the bed of a woman he thought was a harlot. In Genesis 38, verses 12 through 23, Judah was guilty of committing incest with his daughter-in-law. She tricked him, but he was still responsible for his own actions. Genesis 38, verses 24 through 30, Judah was judgmental. Tamar, his daughter-in-law, became pregnant through their incestuous relationship, and Judah ordered her to be burned for her infidelity. As it turned out, she exposed him as the hypocrite he was, and their relationship produced twin boys, one of whom would become a distant ancestor of the Lord Jesus, and that's found in Matthew 1 and verse 3. Now we look at a man like that and we say, you know, he'll never amount to anything. God can't use a man that wicked. Well, the fact is God had big plans for Judah. And God was working in his life and on his heart to transform him into a leader among his brethren. And God was working on him to make a blessing to the nation of Israel and, in effect, to the whole world. Judah was a rough piece of timber, if you will, but God had a plan to work him into shape. And, of course, when you take time to read the Word, you quickly see that many of those who God used in great ways started their lives on the wrong side of righteousness. Give you a few examples. We have Rahab. She was a prostitute. She came to know God, and she became a an, an ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have Ruth. She was a Gentile and a pagan. She came to know God, and she became an ancestor of the Lord Jesus as well. You have David. He committed adultery. He lied, and he was guilty of murder. God forgave him and used him. We have Matthew. He was a tax collector. And he was employed by the Roman government. He was a thief. He was a liar. He was a cheat. But God saved him and used him for his glory. You have the maniac of Gadara. He was demon-possessed. He lived in the tombs. He had an entire region scared half to death. And he met Jesus and became a powerful witness to God's grace and his life-changing power. 
Now we have the Apostle Paul, and by his own testimony, he was guilty of terrible and gross sins. He himself said that he was the cheapest among sinners. Now many more can be named, but not a single one of God's servants have been perfect when he found them. They were all dirty. They were all filthy, full of sin. But he knows how to clean them up and use them as vessels of honor. And there are people under the sound of my voice right now, you're ashamed of your past. And you're right to feel that way. But never think for an instant that God cannot bless you and use you. If you've been saved by the grace of God, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, his precious blood has negated your past. And every stain has been washed away. And you're every bit clean in his sight. And that's something we can thank the Lord about because the Lamb of God has come and he has taken away the sin of the world, John 1, 29. I don't care how clean you live or how close you get to God. There's always going to be someone out there who's going to hold something in your past against you. <laughs> Ignore them. Separate yourself from them because as long as you are right with God, that's the only person you have to please and it's the only person you live for. Now in verses 3 through 6, we see Judah's plea. In these verses, Judah states the simple unvarnished truth. They cannot return to Egypt to buy more grain unless they take Benjamin with them. Now, in the verses we have, it's clear that Judah is making spiritual progress. Let me show you why. He's no longer simply concerned about Judah. His primary focus is no longer what he wants, how he feels, or what he thinks. Judah is concerned about the rest of the family. He knows they have to have food or they will starve. And he's concerned about the future of the family. Judah is concerned about Simeon. Judah knows they cannot bring Simeon home without going back to G Egypt with Benjamin. And Judah is not concerned about doing things the right way. This has never been a priority with him before, and up till now, Judah has cared only about himself. He would do whatever it took to get what he wanted. Now he wants to do the things the right way. He's finally growing up. And this progress did not happen overnight. It's taken many years and many trials to bring about these changes in Judah. By the same token, the Lord's work in your life and mine has not been accomplished overnight. If you're growing as you should, you're closing, uh, getting closer to him every day that since you've been saved. And you are in the process of developing since you received him as your savior. And his work in us is not something that happens overnight. Now, God has plenty of time, and he is willing to do whatever it takes for as long as it takes to accomplish his eternal purposes in his own children. A quick study of the Bible proves that to be true. Think about Abraham. God worked in his heart to cause him to leave the only home that he'd ever known to follow God into Canaan. His faith is so shallow that he runs to Egypt for help during a time of famine. Yet God keeps working on Abraham until the day comes when he's willing to offer his son Isaac as a burnt offering to the Lord. That's progress. 
Think of Jacob. He's a trickster. He's a deceiver. He's a man that lives down to his name. God works on him through the series of difficult circumstances to shape him into the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And God used problems in the family to shape this man. And God allows Jacob to be tricked and deceived by his own uncle. God used hardships and even a personal encounter with himself beside a river to bring Jacob to where God could use him. And that, my friend, is progress. Then think Gideon. Think of Gideon. God took a terrified man and called him to be a judge of Israel. And God gave him a mighty army, and then God took his army away. God sent him into battle with 300 against a multitude. He even sent him into battle without weapons. All he and his men had were clay lamps and trumpets. Yet God gave them the victory, my friend. That's progress. Think about David. God used everything from giants to kings to pride to break and reshape this young man into a man after God's own heart. My friend, that is progress. Think of Simon Peter. Here's a man who was constantly getting in trouble. He talked too much. He was always putting his foot into his mouth. He even denied the Lord Jesus three times in one night, but God took those tragedies and used them to shape Peter into a mighty preacher for himself. He would never have become the man that he would have become without the problems he endured. And my friend, that is progress. Look at your own life. What has the Lord used to shape you into what you are today? He, he probably used your sins, your trials, your, your valleys, our victories, everything else that we faced in life. He used all of that to shape us into what he wants us to be. See, the Lord's shaping ministry is a powerful thing. It's something that every saint must go through, and it's something the Lord uses to bring even sinners unto him. God's desire is to take us just like he finds us and then develop us into a vessel of honor for his glory. According to Jeremiah 18, verses 1 through 6, where merely clay in his hand and like a potter, he will keep the pressure on us as he shapes us into what he wants us to be. Now, there are going to be times when he will crush us and begin again. There are going to be times when he will pound the clay. There's going to be times when he'll add to us, and there are going to be times when he takes away from us. In the end, we'll become a vessel of honor unto the Lord our God. And remember, you're never closer to the potter than when his hand is on your life. I bring your attention to verses 7 through 10, where we have... Judah's pledge. As the passage closes, Judah begs his father to let them go to Egypt for food. And he promises to trade his life for Benjamin's should anything happen to the boy. Now earlier, Reuben had pledged the lives of his two sons in Genesis 42 and verse 37. Of course, Reuben knew that Jacob would never harm his grandsons, and in this case, Judah is willing to lay down his own life for the good of the family. That's a good sign. That's a good sign that Judah is truly maturing, and he's no longer the same self-centered man that he used to be. He's no longer the man who lives only for himself. He's emerging as a leader among his brethren. 
Now soon Judah will bow before and offer himself as a slave. Genesis 44 and verse 33. Soon Judah will openly confess his sins before Joseph and make things right with him. That's in Genesis 44 and verse 16. This formerly self-centered man will humble himself before Joseph. He will speak for the whole group and he will take the blame for all of their actions and he will put them all ahead of himself. You want to know whether or not you're making progress as a believer? Do you want to know whether or not you're maturing in your faith? It's real easy to tell. Just look at the place others hold in your list of priority. When we reach a place of spiritual maturity, we will find that we will consistently begin to place others ahead of ourselves. Now, a sure sign that you're still a baby in Christ is that when you are still number one in your life. When we grow up, our priorities will become vastly different. When we grow up, Jesus will come first. Others will come next, and self will come last. If everything in your life revolves around you, what you want, how you feel, then you just need to grow up. If, however, everything in your life revolves around Christ, others next, and self last, then you're making progress. That's what the Bible teaches about the matter. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4, Romans chapter 12 and verse 15. Now, one of the greatest examples of this selfless kind of love is, is found in the life and the testimony of John the Baptist. He was willing to play second fiddle as long as Jesus was glorified. In John chapter 3, verse 26 through 30, John chapter 3 and verse 30, one of the shortest verses in all the Bible, yet it is so profound. He must increase. I must decrease. That is the attitude that the Lord wants to reproduce in your heart, in mine. Now, Christians sometimes settle for petty involvements, trivial pursuits, chasing mice when we have the opportunity to spend time with royalty, with the king. A.B. Simpson said it like this, once it was the blessing, now it is the Lord. Once it was the feeling, now it is his word. Once his gifts I wanted, now the giver own. Once I sought for healing, now himself alone. Once twas painful trying, now tis perfect trust. Once I have salvation, now the uttermost. Once twas ceaseless holding, now he holds me fast. Once twas constant drifting, now my anchor's cast. Once twas busy planning, now tis trustful prayer. Once twas anxious caring, now he has the care. Once twas what I wanted, now what Jesus says, once twas constant asking, now tis ceaseless praise. Once I tried to use him, now he uses me. Once it was my working, his it hence shall be. Once the power I wanted, now the mighty one. Once for self I labored, now for him alone. 
Once I hoped for Jesus, now I know he's mine. Once my lamps were dying, now they brightly shine. Once for death I waited, now his coming hail, and my hopes are anchored safe within the veil. That is the place we all must come to. Years ago, there was some tourists visiting a picturesque mountain village, and they asked some of the locals, were there any great people born in this village? One of the locals said, nope, just babies in this village. We may get a chuckle off of that, but the same is true in the family of God. We're all born as little spiritual babes. But what a shame it is when we stay babies. The Lord wants us to grow up, to live lives of spiritual power, and to honor for his glory. Judah grew up. Have you? Judah grew in his faith. Are you growing in your walk with Christ? That's the question. That's the question we must ask ourselves because if we're not going forward, we're going backward. The Christian walk is as close to Christ that you can walk as much as you want. There's no limitation how close you can be to the Savior. There's no limitation on the depth of how close you can walk with Him. Come to Him and grow with Him.